Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. And that of free choice. 2,000 years later, we're still debating it. Right? We still are trying to get a grip on it. And it is, it's a challenging issue, no question about it. I mentioned last week that, that I think Matt McClavick has a tough one with the problem of evil. But when it comes to the problem of choice, uh, that's right up there. Right up there. Um, so Erasmus said that uh, free choice is the power of the human will whereby man can apply to or turn away that which leads unto eternal salvation. That means he thought it was up to man to respond to the divine initiative. Thus, salvation is a cooperative enterprise. And that's, of course, where I would take issue, where I think the Bible takes issue. Salvation is not a cooperative enterprise. If it were, I wouldn't be saved. I would not cooperate. When, when exposed to the gospel, what did I do? I ran the other way. And in our heart, you would too, unless Christ changed you. Martin Luther's refusal to renounce his writings at the demand of both the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor resulted in his excommunication around 1520, 1524. So trying to give you a timetable here. Erasmus wrote his book in 1524, so about three or four years early, uh, earlier, um, Luther was excommunicated, and the wheels were turning, right? Luther's response, he wrote a response called On the Bondage of the Will. And, he wrote, and this appeared the following year. So I'm, I got the impression, I was thinking about this on the way here this morning, Luther must have been writing furiously, right? And by furiously, I don't mean he was mad. I mean it, he was engaged, right? He gets this book from Erasmus, and it's like, wow, wow. And he felt compelled to come up with a, with a response. Luther suggested if God foreknows and predestines all things, he was being logical, and I love that. He said there cannot be any free choice in man or angel or any creature. If God knows what you're going to do, how are you going to be able to do something different, essentially? He maintained, and, and the Bible teaches, that original sin has so ruined us, Luther said, that in a man devoid of the Spirit, there is nothing left that can turn toward the good, but only toward evil. Original sin has corrupted us. It's not in us to choose God. Our nature is opposed to Him. That's why it says in Romans 5 that, that not only did Jesus die at the right time, but when He died for us, what does it say? He says we were His enemies. He died at just the right time, it was planned by the Father. Everything was according to God's sovereign choice. So why, why does Luther, Luther, he says, well, let's check out this quote. It's a long one, and I, I don't like really long ones, but this is really good, because I think it's interesting. He, start, he says at the end, it's near the end of his book, and Luther is praising, is, is, is commending Erasmus. And I, I pay Pay attention to this, and I think it will kind of make sense. And I'm going to read it, even though I don't necessarily like reading slides. Moreover, I praise and commend you highly for this also, that unlike the rest, in other words, all the people that were, you know, trying to put Luther down, because he, he, started, he started a big storm, right? right? He said, 
You alone have attacked the real issue, the essence of the matter in dispute. It have not wearied me with irrelevancies about the papacy, purgatory, indulgences, and such like trifles. For trifles they are rather than basic issues. In other words, Luther was getting skewered because of, you know, what he had said about indulgences and purgatory and, and statues and things like that. And, and he was, not that Luther was incorrect, but that was, that was the, let's say, the symptoms of the problem, not the real disease. More of the symptom. And he says, you know, everybody's coming after him because, he, you know, he said something about this or something about that. But he's saying... He's saying, you and you alone have seen the question on which everything hinges and have aimed at the vital spot for which I sincerely thank you. That's why I think Luther was, that's why he was furiously writing this book. He was excited to write this book. He wanted this to be known, right? He says, I am only too glad to give you as much attention to the subject as time and leisure permit. So why does Luther think that free will is the issue on which everything hinges. Why is free will so critical? Free will was no academic question to Luther. The whole gospel of grace he held was bound up with it. And it stood or fell based on, according to the way one decided it. Luther said, and in a good, good quote, Oh, I've had that slide. I forgot about that. But let's, whoops, I'm ahead of myself, it looks like. Um, Luther said, if we believe that Christ has redeemed men by his blood, we are bound to confess that the whole man was lost. Otherwise, we should make Christ either superfluous or the redeemer of only the lowest part of man, which would be blasphemous or sacrilege. In other words, did, to suggest that salvation is a cooperative effort, just means that Jesus only died for the part of me that wasn't good enough to choose him. That Jesus didn't die for the whole man. That Jesus is saying, well, you were pretty good, Randy, you were decent, but you lacked a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'll fix that. You're, you're a pretty good guy, but... And Luther is saying, no, no, without God, with... That's why I think I, I, I this, this, uh, there's a, a bad metaphor out there about how um, Jesus is standing on the shore and, he's, and you're in the, in, the, in the water, you know, treading water, and he throws this life ring out there, right? And all you have to do is grab on. That's your free choice, right? You either grab on or you don't. And that's really not an accurate picture of the gospel. Because the reality is, I can't even tread water. In fact, I'm, I'm a dead and rotting corpse on the bottom of the ocean floor. And by his mercy, he reaches down and he picks me up and he saves me. And if I could tread water and he tried to reach out for me, I'd be swimming the other way. And so, and that's what I think Luther understood. And if we, if we try to, um, this this issue of free choice is huge. God chose us, we didn't choose him. It's what it boils down to. And it is huge, because otherwise he doesn't get the glory. Otherwise I can go to heaven and say, I can even look back and say, too bad you didn't make it to heaven, I guess I, I knew better than you. I was a little bit better than you. 
Yes, the road is narrow and few, few, few can pass right through the gate. But why is that? Is it because I'm better? Is it because you're better? No, it's because God is better. God is great. God is good. He's gracious. And anyone who calls on him will be saved. But we have to give all the glory to him. I'm preaching now. I'm just going to try to get to, I have, um, this is, um, I can't help it. I'm excited about this lesson. It's probably my favorite. The last one I'm really fond of. First one I like too. I mean, I like them all, but, um, but especially, but I, this is sort of my summary of distinguishing between Luther's view and the view of Erasmus, which we would probably equate with the, Ar the Arminian view, which I talked about last Sunday. And so um, I think this is a fair, a fair assessment. And, and it's not that um, there's a reason that this is actually a majority opinion. It's a majority in opinion in the church today because the majority of Christians don't know their Bible. They haven't taken the time to study. It wasn't always... This wasn't always the majority opinion, but over time we become more and more man-centered and we want to think that we have control. And we want to think that we're at least a little bit good. We, we have a hard time thinking that original sin has totally wrecked us. But when we sing the song Amazing Grace, Newton's words should ring true. They should ring true. So I have three major points um, or I put them in, the in a way of questions. I always think that questions are more interesting. And so um, our definition of freedom has to be consistent, I think, with God's sovereignty over the human will. And so uh, I mentioned this last week. I'd like to consider, um, consider the example of Joseph being born into slavery. You know, he told his brothers, don't be, don't be angry with yourselves. God had a plan. He knew what he was doing. It was not you who sent me here, but God, he says. And he says, and I know I've, I've, I talked about, I mentioned this verse last week, these verses, and I'm going to go fast. Um, then he says later, the, the, near the end of book, Genesis says 50 chapters. This is in chapter 50. He says, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is important. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And it's so good that God does work all things out, work, works everything out for good. God worked the decisions of man to bring about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Isn't it remarkable if you follow this, the gospel when you read through any of the, the, the four gospels and you see how, and even Jesus would say, oh, my time has not yet come. It, it was all planned. Um, Luke uh, 22 um, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. And again, in, in Acts, um, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, this was, was all planned. Everything. All planned. And then later in, um, and I know I'm going fast, so read fast. Acts 4. Um, what your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. These aren't my words. These are the words of Scripture. Scripture teaches 
that God brings about our free decisions. God does not nearly foreordain what happens to us, but he also foreordains what we choose to do. The root of human decision is the heart. Um, for example, uh, Jesus says, you know, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. A thorn bush cannot bear figs because to bear figs would be contrary to its very nature. So the heart is a, is a center of human life, our fundamental nature and character, and that heart is under God's control. It's why I was thinking about this right before class started, um, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, why scripture says believe in your heart. Now we know we're not talking about the physical organ, organ that pumps blood, right? So when the Bible talks about our heart, it's talking about our, our, our being, our mind, how, how, our essence, really. And, and so, um, you know, that's why the, the scriptures say uh, that the mind of, of man, we plan our way, but it's God who directs our steps. It's God who forms the purpose of our hearts and he decides the steps we'll, we'll take to carry out those purposes. God directs not only the hearts of kings, but also of, of you and me. He who fashions the heart of them all, he who understands all their works. That's the God we serve. So, second question, and I know I'm just as sort of a flyover. We're, we're packing a lot in all the classes. I'm sure all the teachers say this. Um, the second one, who chooses who? Who chooses who? And so I'd like to define man's will in the light of Scripture. Now, I have, um, at first glance, there does, and let's be honest, that's why this is a tough issue. There appears to be two opposing views in Scripture. For example, there's this one. So read it, please. Well, I'll read it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and, and dine with him and he with me. Or as the King James says, sup with me, right? And so that seems like, doesn't that seem like, well, God says, hear my voice and you choose, right? Doesn't it seem like that? And then you have this verse. This, these are Jesus' words in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. And so it does seem like they're opposing views, doesn't it? And so it's our job, and I talked last week about meditating in Scripture, it's our job to try to, try to sort this out, right, and make sure. Which is it? Is it, which, which is it? I went the wrong way. Is it one or the other? And so I would have to say, um, what we want to do now is try, we're going to get like theological here, and, and um, there's a distinction between um, free will and free agency. And that's what I wanted to talk about. There is a sense that all men have free will. Augustine, Luther, and Calvin all affirm this. Okay, so I, I'm not, the, the objection that people, and you might even be sitting here thinking that, well, then that means we're all like robots, and God's just, or marionettes, and God's just like, do it. And the reality is, you, there's a sense that we all have free will. I didn't feel compelled 
to choose what tie I wore this morning or feel compelled as to, you know, whether I would, I don't know, what shirt I would wear. All my choices, I never felt in any way compelled, like forced to do something. Um, more recently, um, this kind of free will, like in the last couple hundred years, theologians are referring to it as free agency. So we're free agents in a sense. Um, all humans are free agents in the sense that they make their own decisions as, as what they will do. I'm reading it because I want to be careful here. Choosing as they please in the light of their sense of right and wrong and the inclinations they feel. We are moral agents, answerable to God and each other for our voluntary choices. Um, but, but that's different than free will. Free will is the ability to choose all moral options that the situation offers. And original sin has robbed us as free will in this case. In other words, um, most people think when they use the term free will, or I have free will, that they are, um, that, that they are neutral, right? That they, are, that they can make any choice, that they are free, that they're not like, um, um, well, let's put it this way. We're not neutral. Original sin has robbed us of that neutrality. My bent, my bent is to be selfish. We don't teach our, those of you that are parents and you've raised children, or you're raising children, you, you don't teach your children to be selfish. You just don't. Even only child, only children, people that are the only one, they, they, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You, don't, you, you just don't. It's in them. It's our nature to be selfish. And so we're not, we're not neutral in any way. We're just not. Original sin, a sin has robbed us of that. We have no natural ability to discern and choose God's way because we have no inclination Godward. Our hearts are in bondage to sin, and only the grace of regeneration can free us from that slavery. And I think that's what Paul was saying in Romans 6. I'm doing um, a devotion right now in Romans 6, and I'll tell you, you, you should go through Romans 6. I mean, 7 and 8 get a lot of attention, and they should. But go, start in Romans 6 and just go verse by verse and just spend a little time on each verse or, or two. Maybe join a couple together. It's been really good for me personally to go back and just look at Romans 6. Um, we know what the scripture says. So the law of spirit you know, um, it has set you free from the law of sin and death. The, this is a law. You can't escape it, right? We can't escape it. It's, it's our nature apart from Christ. And so um, I am the slave of sin whom Christ must liberate. I am the fallen being and only have it in me to choose against God until God himself renews my heart, until he renews your heart. So I, I want to try to spend a little time defining free will. And so this is um, the question that you, that you can't help but ask. Is there such thing as free will? And this is, this is a difficult, difficult topic. And I, I labored over this for several years. Not, and I haven't, and, and, and I don't have all the answers. I'm happy to talk with people, but people want to talk about it as, um, as a paradox. 
They want to say, oh, well, it's just something we can't understand, and God is sovereign. And there's a sense that that's true, that I used to say for years, I mean, 30 years ago, I can remember saying, God is sovereign, man is responsible, deal with it. I mean, I like I didn't have an answer, right? Just deal with it. And in a sense, that's true. It's really hard to reconcile. I'm not going to. But Luther suggested that free will is a non-entity, a thing consisting in name alone. He didn't like the term because he think it, thought it was misleading, and that's why theologians came up with the term free agency. What most people mean by free will is the idea that man is neutral and therefore able to choose good or evil. However, this is simply not true. That's what Luther called his book Bondage of the Will. To say that we have free will is a misnomer. You're not free, and that's why we need Jesus Christ. You're not free. You're a slave to sin. And so that's what you know, the scriptures say, can an Ethiopian change his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Ethical choices are not formed by a neutral mind, but, all, but, but always dictated by your nature or your personality. We are, Calvin said, we are all sinners by nature, therefore we are held under the yoke of sin. But if the whole man is subject to the dominion of sin, surely the will, which is its principal seat, must be bound with the closest of chains. And indeed, if the divine grace were preceded by any will of ours, Paul could not have said, it is God that worketh in us to will and to do. Spurgeon said, free will I have often heard of, but I have never seen it. I have always met with will and plenty of it, but it, either, but it has either been led captive by sin or held in the blessed bonds of grace. So I'd like to revisit uh, Luther and Erasmus. Uh, Erasmus recognized man's fallen nature. He suggested that in conversion, a man needs special grace from God. So it's not like Erasmus was all wrong. You know, he did, he, 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 uh, he knew that grace was necessary. And so he called that special grace, the Catholics call this prevenient grace. And so he knew that, that um, in conversion, man needed a special grace from God to be able to make a, a decision. But he also said that man's will is free, and concerning salvation, his will is free, but too, he said it's too weak to be of any effectiveness according to the grace of God. So he tried to have it both ways. He wanted to say that, well, yeah, you need grace. I, I do admit that. Because we are kind of weak. So yes, I guess we do need God's help. But Luther argued that that view was a contradiction. And it's a really good argument. Okay, It's something that, as a former debater, I can appreciate. Right? He says it follows that, hence, without free will, or he said that free will without God's grace is not free at all. So to tell me that you're free, but that you still need this grace, well, which is it? Like, so are you like a, this much free? This much free? How much do you need Christ? 
like only this much because this much is bad and the rest of you is good. I mean, and, he's, and he, he said, what is ineffective power but no power at all? In other words, he's saying, referring to our power. If our power, power is ineffective, then how are you, does it make sense to say, well, your power is ineffective, but you still have power? What kind of power is that? If it's ineffective, then it's not power, right? Second place isn't good enough. So to say that free will exists and has power, albeit ineffective power, in the sophist phrase, I'm quoting Luther, is a contradiction in terms. It's like saying free will is something that's not free. In Luther's opinion, no man has real free choice, but for by free choice is meant that which can do and does in relation to God whatever it pleases, uninhibited by any law or any sovereign authority. We know that's not true. We can't do whatever we please. We can't do something against. I mean, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, do you really think that, well, yeah, I can do whatever I want in the whole scheme of things. He can't stop me. I mean, I said, didn't I say last week? I say so. I talk so much, I forget what I say. Um, it's like, you know, the, the, I think I used the, the example of, well, God, God, God saying, well, I really wanted to save this person, but I just couldn't. As such, free choice properly belongs to no one but God alone. For God alone is free to do what he desires to be done. So Luther argues that because man is under subjection to God, he cannot be said to act freely on his own, just as a slave cannot be free because he's under the sovereign authority of his master. So Luther suggests to Erasmus that perhaps he consider the terms veritable choice or mutable choice, but not free choice. For this is a misrepresentation of what man truly is. As such, Luther insists that the term free choice ought to be dropped altogether in the study of man since, since such a thing as free choice does not exist in him. Luther agreed from Scripture that man, since Adam's fall, is born in sin, dead in sin, and in bondage to sin. This means that because his nature is corrupt and his will is sinful, an unregenerate person cannot obey and please God. A bad tree brings forth bad fruit. Luther did not like the term free will since it implies that fallen man is free to choose what is good and pleasing to God. And he thought that this, this false idea of free will is a real threat to salvation and a delusion fraught with the most perilous consequences. That's why he said this is the hinge on which everything turns. In other words, if man's will plays even a little part in salvation, it robs God of glory and exalts man in a very unbiblical way. I did not cooperate with God. He did it all. And therefore, he gets all the glory. And so anything good that you accomplish, and if you're able to, to, um, to, to gather up a treasure that would be worth presenting to God, well, you'll be throwing those crowns at his feet. Am I right? He is a rewarder of those, right, of those who seek him, but it's only because he was merciful upon us. 
Jonathan Edwards is probably America's most important theologian. And so he wrote this title super long. People call it the freedom of the will because it's, you know, back then titles are really long. But he said it, I think, simply in a way that, that I can appreciate. Um, he said, man chooses what he most desires. We can understand that, right? Like, I looked at this tie and I looked at another tie. And I thought, this one matches better. I kind of like how it matched the blue in my pants. And so I, I, I chose this tie, right? It was what I most desire. That makes And so he said, Luther, or I'm sorry, Edwards, and Luther is the same camp, since man's will is corrupt, he is unable to repent because he doesn't desire to repent. It's not what I most desire. I didn't want to desire, I saw religion as a restriction on my freedom. I didn't want religion. Oh yeah, I wanted like the, I wanted the idea that I was going to go to heaven and that maybe I was basically a moral guy. I thought I was a pretty good guy, better than the average Joe. I was, by the way. I was fairly moral. I'm allowed to say that. I'm not saying I was good. I'm not saying I merited heaven. But I was a pretty decent kid. I didn't get into trouble. I got good grades. I was in the National Honor Society, blah, blah, blah. So I had a fairly high opinion of myself. Shame on me. It, it probably took me longer to get saved because of that. Because I was stubborn. But God had mercy on me. He opened my eyes. And now, as old as I am, I see my sin more than ever before. I am a wretch. And I need God's grace. I am a miserable sinner, I admit. But I am so blessed in Jesus Christ. So blessed. Um, now, if you want further study, there's two opposing views, and I'm not going to get into it. I've skipped them in my other class because I look at the clock and say, no way, there's time for that. But there are, there are if you, uh, there's something called libertarian free will and something called compatibilist uh, free will. And I can't even say the word, so why should I even worry about it too much? But anyway, um, the, the idea... The, there is a way to properly look at free will, but I agree with Luther, we might as well throw that term out the window and come up with something else. Free agency, I suppose. Because we do, I don't want to tell you that, that you, we operate as if we have free choice. So let's not, let's be plain about that. But as Edward says, I choose what I most want to do. For example, I can't even, like, if I choose to do something, I can't even be random. Because if I choose to do something randomly, like let's say I picked out my tie this morning and I went to the closet and I just closed my eyes and picked a tie out at random. Even that was choosing. I was doing what I most wanted to do. I wanted to choose randomly, right? So even my choice, even that choice wasn't free in the way that most people think free. I wasn't free. I'm still bound my, by my desires, my nature. My nature is directing my choices. You follow? So if I'm sinful by nature, if I'm selfish, if I'm not oriented toward God, then I'm going to make choices that reflect that orientation. Does that make sense? That's why I'm not free. That's why Luther called this book Bondage of the Will. 
Apart from Christ, our will is in bondage. We can't act the way, we can't act in a way pleasing to God because our will is bound. Say, say again? Every oh, yes. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Unless they were a gift. <laughs> Good man. But, sorry. Sorry. No, the tie I wore last week was a gift, and Hannah got it for me, and actually, I've got some compliments on it. So. The other thing is your desire was to wear a tie. That's right. That's right. You know, I, when I, it's funny because I, seven, eight years ago, um, before I came to Christ the Word, maybe 10 years ago, I remember, I was at my other old Presbyterian church, and I go, yeah, if I go to Christ's Word, I'll have to wear a bow tie. And, uh, and I wore a suit every day to church, and then when I came to Christ's Word, you guys had kind of evolved a little bit, and everybody was just wearing, like, nice shirts, you know. And, and so when I came to Christ's Word, I first came, I, I um, good old Bob Forney, you know, who's been a dear friend for, like, 35 years, um, he was still the same, but... Um, <laughs> But I, so I came, you know, and I just wore my, you know, my nice iron shirt and, and slack. And then I realized, you know what, that's not me, you know. I mean, I, I'm dressing up for Jesus, you know. This is like, I want this day to be different. I don't want to, so I'm not trying to put a, put a guilt on anybody, okay. I'm not preaching to you guys. I'm just telling you where I'm at, which is why I, if you wonder why I, I was one way before, well, I decided, you know what, I just want to, I want today to be special, so that's all. That's where I'm at, so you know. Like, why did he wear that, you know, so. And, then, and the thing with the bow ties, what's great, is that um, I have a lot of long ties, right, that are normal. And the thing is, they're all out of style now because they're too wide. And like with bow ties, I don't have to worry about, is that tie too wide or too narrow? So I don't have to think about that. So I think I'm being very practical with the whole bow tie thing. Okay, so there's, there's some application here, and it's important. So what I think is that our moral inability, our moral inability, you understand what that phrase means, right? Our inability to make sound, godly choices should do what? Lead us to God. That, I, I honestly think that was the thing, I mentioned it before, it was the thing keeping me from accepting Christ, right? It was me thinking that I was a decent dude, right? That I thought, I'm pretty good. If somebody's going to go to heaven, why should that guy go and not me? It's how we think, isn't it? We judge all the time. It's something I'm working on. I realize that a lot of my complaining is rooted. It's something I'm trying to cut down on this year is complaining. It's rooted in judging. And I judge people. I judge people for, for all kinds of things. And I, I'm not even, and that's why I say I'm, I realize my sin is becoming more and more evident to me. I got to stop that. But it should lead me to God. And so, um, this is, um, oh gosh, I forgot that. I didn't realize I had all these slides. Wow. I, see, I have a problem. I made a note on here which slideshow to use. I, got the, got the, I didn't even know I had. So here, here's a summary of all of Edward's stuff. Okay, but we're, um, <laughs> uh, all right, well, this is where I'm at anyway. So this is it. <laughs> um, so, good quote from Edwards. It is from little thoughts of God that you quarrel against his justice and the condemnation of sinners from the doctrine of original sin. It must be because you do not know him to be God and will not allow him to be sovereign. I, I like this. My inability should lead me to God. Apart from grace, we're, we're all afflicted with moral inability. 
And apart from grace, we all die in our sins. And, and that's why Paul says the, the mind of sinful man is death. So if we're controlled by the sinful nature, we can't please God. And so it, it's, um, Luther called, I think he called the, um, the law like the, the school teacher or the, the tutor. It, is that, somebody help me with that? The schoolmaster. You know, and so the idea was it, it, it's to point out our, our sin and our inability to say, look, we need God. You need God. You can't do it without him. And so that inability is meant to draw us to Christ and to depend on him. And that's, I, I love, you know, 2 Corinthians 4. I was in, I was in uh, waiting for a lot of people at Five Guys. And again, this is what I talk about as far as judging. So a guy is there, we're, we're both waiting for our burgers, and he's, you know, um, beard, Bass Pro hat, you know, whatever, and I'm, naturally I'm thinking he's different than me. And I talk about how I can't wait to get home and chill on the couch and whatever, and all of a sudden he says something about Jesus. What? This guy throws Jesus out in a sentence, and I'm talking about Netflix. You know, and I just really praise God that he, and he, it was a lesson for me. I'm standing there waiting for a burger. Why can't I do that? And so next thing you know, we're, quote, this guy's quoting scripture like me. And I'm like, wow, so he's doing King James, you know. And um, we're, and so I get out my phone and I, I, and I start talking about this. About how we need God. We need God. This truth, this is so powerful. So if you, you know about earthen vessels, right? They're very fragile. I was on uh, a missions trip in Peru, and I, I preached at this church, and afterwards they asked me to pray for people, long story, but this woman gave me an earthen vessel. And I tried to wrap it carefully, put it in my carry-on, got home, and it was broken. I'm not telling you the story to feel, so you feel bad about the vase, but I'm telling you the story that, to know that's an example of how fragile those vessels are, even though I tried really hard to take care of it. We need God. We are fragile. We need him. And, and so I hope you read this verse. I hope you did. And he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. And that's what, what I hope you have and what I have I don't lose heart. I went to a funeral yesterday. It could have been me. The guy was 61. He's younger than me. But I don't lose heart. At least I hope not. I mean, I don't want to go early. I have a lot to live for, and I'm so blessed. These six little grandbabies, oh, man. But I don't lose heart, even though the outer man is decaying. We're being renewed day by day. And that's why we have to go to God, right? We have to go to him because we need him every day. Every day. Go to him every day. Your effort, your gifts, your enterprise. This is Luther. This is a great quote. The real reason underneath your success is the blessing of God. Isn't that true? So, I mean, I, I told Dee this morning, I mean, it's, 
sometimes it's like you see yourself and your children and you see unfortunately sometimes that some of your negative qualities but thankfully God gave them a few good qualities too and the only reason is is because of God being gracious I am blessed and it's only only because of God I am who I am isn't that true let's pray father we we thank you and praise you for your goodness your loving kindness toward us and we know that there's ups and downs we know that you even promised persecution we know that the wonderful plan you have for our life may involve hardship struggles conflict even death but we know that you're good we're confident in that we pray that we can bless one another encourage one another we pray that we would um, learn to depend on you because that's a learning process to let go right and to and to say god i trust you strengthen our faith we pray may we go into worship praising you uh, for your wonderful faithfulness to us may we believe the words we sing this morning accept the words we hear preached this morning may we leave here changed people we love you god and we pray in the name of jesus amen Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.